right. We did it. Art Fight Podcast, number 90. Very special edition, off schedule, but certainly glad that it's happening, and I've been meaning to get these guys together here for, for a while. So, welcome from, from all whereabouts, international and otherwise. we got we got Ivan Verlon from Toronto, right? You're coming in from Toronto? Yes. Yeah. I, yes. Some people have escaped, you know, pandemic-wise to, like, parts unknown, but it seems like you're, you're sticking it out doing your thing still, so that's great in Toronto. And then, of course, Mr. Regular from Regular Car Reviews. Mr. My Mr. mouth is filled with food, and it's good to be here. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, so seriously, thanks a lot, dudes. Thanks for working with me through all the, the technical things. And like I was telling you, Brian, before we got started, I, I love the idea that you guys sort of don't have a veil for your sort of technical difficulties in your podcast. And for, for a, really, it's actually a staple of kind of your aesthetic and your, your general mm. sort of attitude. That it's, it, yeah. As a person like me and then as a perfectionist also like Ivan, Ivan, are you okay with me calling you a perfectionist? Because it seems kind of... Legit. Yeah, mostly accurate. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, I mean, I wouldn't phrase it exactly like that, yeah. but no. But let me make it perfect for you. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, but man, so I really, when I, when I found out that this was, you guys were making a, a short film, a sort of version of higher production value for uh, a regular car reviews sort of episode, I guess that's a very brief way to put it. The idea of, you know, Brian, you sort of being a little bit more shooting from the hip, even though I know that you're also a perfectionist in your own right, but maybe just in other areas, right? You 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 seed the things that you know you're never going to be an expert at and triple mm-hmm. down on the things that you know you're good at. And then mm-hmm. on the other side of it, you know, for this collaboration, Ivan, you know, your your work is highly professional, highly cinematic and challenges the the entire idiom of and legacy of regular car reviews. So I guess without getting into like more interviewee shit i just my thing is like it that that, that's been seen probably what a hundred or two hundred thousand times already what's the response been to this project we'll get into what it's about but essentially this seems like the response has been pretty good and that the audience generally has is widely accepted it even though it's sort of at this sort of antithetical production standard that they're used to is that for me or for ivan it's for ivan okay all right. Well, yeah. I mean, for the first few days, I would check back in, in the massive comment thread on YouTube, as as dangerous as that might be. Yeah. I, I, I checked in just to see, like, we 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 really didn't know how it was going to be uh, received. You know, we we modified what the typical format was going to be, not just in terms of visuals, but the the focus of the writing even, and and the the dirtiness level, I guess, in general. Yeah. So. So, you know, I, I'm a fan of what Brian and Nick do. So I knew we were doing something different as a one-off, but would the rest of the audience understand that? And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I checked in on those comments. And of course, there's the detractors. There's the, this thing yeah. looks way too nice. <laughs> I'm confused. I can't handle this. Yeah, Forget like, it. Yeah. Or like, go back to the, go back to the paper bag shooting that you always do. You know, like there, there's, there was there was those comments, but I mean they were definitely the minority. So I'm I'm really really happy that the general RCR audience saw what we were trying to do. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a it's that sort of vibe of you know the band that you you know went 
in high school, the band that you were into the most or whatever, they're kind of underground. You feel like that you identify with this thing and then all of a sudden they put out a highly polished major label release and you feel like on one hand, yes, it's higher production value, but on the other, you're like, man, I, I lost this, I don't know, like this, this emblematic sort of punk rock kind of anti-establishment thing, right? So what I think you guys did really well, and I, I don't want to really rehash, you guys have talked about the video ad nauseum, you know, in terms of what it is and why and all that, but Generally, this film is sort of a, a, a love letter to, to a, a VW Westphalia van, taking the regular car style of, of writing and elevating just the, the film element and all of that. So when your band gets co-opted, right, a lot of people are going to get weird about it. But I mean, it, it worked. I mean, if anything, it's like when you go yeah. as like when you're as when you're as an adult you go back and listen to the bands that you felt like sold out and you realize yeah. that that first record they did that was their major release that shit was brilliant like it was really mm-hmm. beautifully done but you're still at the time like hanging on to some you know punk rock aesthetic so how did you right. navigate that or how did you think about it it seems like you were probably at a risk right of letting go of something to to get to the next trapeze no, i didn't think about that at all yeah like mm-hmm. we're trying to move to the next level and we will at some point. And there are people who want you to remain 23 forever because, well, maybe they themselves were are, are afraid of growing up. I remember thinking about that. I think I got upset when Calvin and Hobbes stopped. And when did they stop? Like, 90s or something like that I think so and I thought it was unfair like he says I'm going to retire at the top and 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 to and also Seinfeld like I'm just getting into this you know in high school why does this have to end now us regular car reviews isn't ending and it's not it's never going to be fully professional as evidenced by my filling my mouth with food and then talking on a podcast <laughs> but Ah, uh, chew, 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 chew. <laughs> I want RCR to be able to continue on YouTube. In addition to be regular cars, it would be. I think Ivan and I talked about this. Like when RCR gets picked up on a future platform, that will just be called regular cars, and then regular car reviews on YouTube will be like the OG format, mm. and. I think being on, let's just say, Amazon or Netflix, because those are the big two. I like the idea of being derogatory again if I want to. Because YouTube has gone very... uh, I I like to use the phrase St. Louis, but to go for the middle of the road. But they they want that focus on the family dollars. They want everything to be quick quick and easily digestible stuff mm. which is why the algorithm now knows if you're saying fuck yeah so the fucks have gone away and a lot of the comments to or a lot a lot of my dick has gone away <laughs> but then again yeah there's only one andrew dice clay who can just make you know pussy jokes forever and you know we're not we're not him like i'm trying to think of a comedian who was like super dirty but then 
had to evolve. I guess. Eddie Murphy. You think? Eddie Murphy. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, Patton Oswalt, he still does. Well, he was actually no, he's still di- he's still dirty and nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> it, something like that will come to me. I I'd, I'd say Bob Saget, but he's still filthy in his stand-up routine. Yeah. It's just, but he has the full house. He got that ABC right? money. Yeah. Yeah. I love his whole deal, just that he is, he's got that comedy. Right, like this, he's got this this polarity that he can work that is so bizarre. Being on a show like Full House and whatever yeah. that quote unquote stands for, you know what I mean? Right. Versus like, uh, that gives him license to go to the moon in terms of just being uh, completely subversive. It's a great, yeah. it's a great thing to be tethered to the extreme. I love, I love that. Yeah. So now with. Ivan, did you? I got the thing that I'm always curious about is in terms of process is how people relate to each other and how they communicate with each other and how they get the most out of each other. And sometimes that works really well. Sometimes it's a process, you know, where it's like, man, we hated each other through the whole thing, and then we patted each other on the back and had a beer after because we knew that we argued it out the right right way. You know, there can be any number of ways that these collaborations can go. But I love the idea that, you know, Ivan, you coming from a pure place of just objective, you know, appreciation of regular cars and what, what they've been doing. You have you, you're you're walking into it with that responsibility of you know what what has preceded this, but at the same time, uh, you want to put your own you want to put your foot down on certain things. Like no, like you know this is the way it's you know this has got to go if it's going to be on this level or be this concise or be this whatever it is. So I'm just curious if you guys had any moments or in your process where you felt like there was the, a good dynamic like that, or was it something Brian where you were just like I don't know, fuck it, just you know. <laughs> make it make it look good, man, and you know, good luck in in Canada with the whole thing. But Ivan, Ivan, I guess I'm just curious about from your your perspective, like about the process, because I mean, it's really like a, a cool sort of worlds colliding uh, thing. Yeah, I mean, it it was very close to the example you just gave. I mean, Brian, he's like, look, I trust you, you do it, right? Like it. I would say any friction in, in the entire process would have come from me insisting too strongly that Brian and Nick remain involved in every step, right? Yeah. Because, like, I, I was cognizant and still am very cognizant of 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 the the time versus benefit analysis that you have to do for YouTube, mm. and and just the the incredible time constraints that they face on a weekly basis putting out their their regular content so what i was asking them to do even if i was doing the filming and the editing was to put a tremendous amount more of their time into this project and and at a certain point it became clear that like by asking them at every step I am over asking on this project. I mean, mm. we, we, we know we know that in the grand scheme, it's great for everybody if this thing gets picked up, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's also like, at, at what point do you just say, okay, just just get it done, right? And and I think it, it took me a couple of other warm-up projects to, and even halfway through this project to understand that, where I, I didn't feel like I had earned that trust with, with Brian and Nick mm. yet oh, yeah? until... I, I don't I don't even know the specific moment, but I really got the sense that where it was just like, 
look, we we trust you, just do it. It's okay. You know, it really, I needed that assurance at a certain point mm -hmm. where I just stopped sending them every cut. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. you'll hear from me when this thing's done, yeah. you know, or near enough to done. And even then there's still a million little check boxes I need from these guys. So, so yeah, I mean, we, we, we did some early collaborations where I filmed one of his regular uh, reviews and then we did, we did a collaboration for the lemons rally last year. Yeah. And, and so I feel like the first one, it was, I'm gonna do your process. I'm gonna just, uh, I'm yeah, here yeah. just to like help you a little bit. And like, and then I realized the insanity of how fast paced it was, but, but you know, Brian wasn't gonna give me a lot of direction. He's, he's like, well, you're a professional. You're just gonna get you, what you're bringing to the table is better than what I do anyway. So just go do it, yeah, right? Yeah. So already mm -hmm. off yeah. the bat, he, he hadn't watched a frame of anything I'd ever filmed and he's handing this episode over to mm -hmm. me. I'm like, what the hell? I, you don't know who I am yet, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then the lemons rally, same thing. He's he's like, you know, you'll just make your your thing, right? And it, it worked out in the end, of course. But yeah. the amount of trust that Brian placed in me early, I thought was insane. This guy's got a huge YouTube channel, mm. and he's just like, whatever you make is good for me, you know? Yeah. So I feel like on my end, I felt like I had to earn that trust, you know, and 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 prove to them that by by halfway through this, now you can kind of see it taking shape. You see where I'm going with this. Finally, there's yeah. a form to it you can trust me to take it over to the to the finish line but i mean so i guess i'm i don't know from brian's perspective but from mine i feel like any friction would have come from me wanting way more involvement from them throughout and saying like all right we're now doing the 12th draft of your script i'm sorry but <laughs> we need to make more revisions yeah. or you know like on, on the shoot itself figuring well it's your channel you guys do video production you're gonna haul some lights around and plug stuff in but they're like i don't want to break your stuff yeah. you know like i don't i don't know how to yeah. roll that cable properly and if from a place of respect they were saying <laughs> I, we shouldn't do that yeah so therefore they're on these 14 hour crazy long slog days that they didn't really need to be and so i i mean i i felt bad and we worked that out <laughs> but but it was all this like it was just this over asking of their time because and, and we and we landed at the end of this in a very happy place, knowing that they're extremely talented at writing and sourcing cars and like so the producing and writing side of this and and Nick with with music and and so it's fine for them to be in that lane, right? And I I don't have to get them into the other lanes, you know, and and so it's more than anything was just like me finding my comfort with that and and not. I, and I guess my own insecurities about being too dominating within a project, you know, and, and yeah, not yeah. wanting to step on this guy's toes who's, who's yeah. built this channel over six years. You yeah, know? it's hard. It's hard to, to I mean, in any sort of interpersonal interaction, it's hard to navigate where people's sort of lines are and their kind of tolerances for creative push and pull that can be kind of wrapped up in egos or you don't know. Right. Like so being on a little bit of a, a sort of kid gloves kind of scenario for a while I'm sure is like the approach and then you start to figure out like no they're trying to just give you this thing just take it yeah yeah just fucking take it like it's it's I would imagine for you Brian it's like you know okay so let me say this first with, uh, Ivan with you you're like a guitar tech who's like a, a luthier that builds beautiful guitars and is a craftsman and then you're going to see Brian play a show and he's smashing his guitar on the stage and yeah. setting it on fire you know what I mean <laughs> it's like that's what people want and that's what people like but at the same time you're and they're like fuck like okay this is these are different worlds right and then brian you know you're in a place where it's probably in a way sort of automatic for you to to sort of seed all of that to ivan because 
all you ever wanted from what I've gathered is that like the whole impetus for the channel and what you're doing is born of a spirit of I'm going to do it. If all else is fucked in, in life or whatever else, I don't care. I'm yeah. this one fucking thing that I can totally control. I'm going to do it and I don't care. I'm not going to adhere to anybody else's sort of expectation or anything. And so if you've come come about that way, then it makes perfect sense that for someone to come along like Ivan, that you'd just be like, look, man, like I, I want you to be like, be the, be the better me with respect to like, yeah, yeah. the sort of film and production, you know what I mean? And uh, just, just, I, you, you look like, you know, a hell of a lot more than I ever could. Right. Just at a glance. So it just does, go with yeah. it. What's the yeah, worst? That, what's the worst thing that happens, right? Yeah, the the, the only part in in the film, well, there were two things where I felt frustrated. Was one where I just wanted to go to fucking bed, like when you're at like your parents' house, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sleeping in your car, yeah. realizing it's it's eleven thirty. These guys are still going. Like, I just wanted to sleep. Let's get back to the Airbnb. And then Nick and I had this thing we'd say to each other. Like when it came time to like revisit the script, which was a learning experience for us, we just start. We just said Jiminy Jillikers to each other when we got a letter from Ivan, an email from Ivan, <laughs> yeah. which is a, a Simpsons reference. Who they had to film. There was a movie being filmed in Springfield, and uh, Millhouse played the lead of radio. Like it was the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger type character as Radioactive Man, and then Millhouse was a sidekick. And there was this one scene where the producer comes in to Millhouse and says, Millhouse, we need to shoot the Jiminy Jillicker scene again. But we've done it. It took 47 takes, but we got it. It's done. Yes, but we have to do it again from different angles, and again, and again, and again, and again. And then he just grabs Millhouse and takes it out. So, so that's that was like the joke. And it's like, I thought the script was done. Now we need to do it again. But that's the truth of like, hey, we wanna we wanna film this for real. Get used to this. Get used to the project being like a classic car. It's not done. It's never done. And that's why there are that's why there's fifteen directors cuts of Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean so Ivan, like when when you were in in the spot of putting these guys to work you're you're sort of digging into the story at this point i'm sure you had your your shoot very well planned right a storyboarded you know you know thought out on some level as you pre-production people do and but i guess i'm just curious about like when you were first coming into it and you're there i would imagine that there's a weird convergence process of taking the the strength of the writing which on its own and in its normal habitat functions perfectly and it's honed and it's iterated and it's on the channel that writing style and that editing and that that time frame everything just works i'm imagining that there was probably a point where you were saying uh, how we film this and how we execute this there's going to have to be some perhaps different types of uh, adaptations to the to the writing it may be an or more organized albeit tangential sort of approach or whatever it is i don't know i'm just curious about like if you felt like there was a a point where the writing and the film process and the storyboarding and the pre-production and then getting into it, did you feel like there was a point where it kind of started to snap together or was that something that happened way later or how, how much did the script being apart from you in its origin, how was that a challenge for you or, or not? Does that make any sense? Like I, I just feel like through the process you're, you're, you're adapting what you're doing to this writing. 
and probably stretching muscles in the regular car's style that haven't been stretched before. Right. Yeah, I don't think there was much of a challenge to it. You know, it was... This is an exercise of you write it first, and then I'll figure out how to how to illustrate that. Right? Okay. So so it it really was like we know what the car is going to be, so write a draft based on that, and then and then I'll plan out what I'm going to film based on what you've already said about it, mm. right? And then and then of course we once they drove they, once they actually drove the car and and we got through the four days of filming we realized what we had and what we might still need to get. And so, yeah, we, we adapted the script at that point. But I think I think any adaptations were pretty straightforward, you know, just based on uh, practical considerations, wh- whether it was, you know, facts facts and figures about the, the car, but yeah, also, yeah. like, what, what could we actually achieve within, I think it was three primary production days and, and a half-day pickup when they were here. So, you know, that, that's just not a lot of time to get, you know, 15 minutes of of broadcast quality content so so yeah i mean it, it was it was more just a, a practical adaptation than anything else yeah yeah i guess i was just curious yeah so that's good i mean it's a more comfortable you have to i think to have a fixed piece of writing or a really really well established piece uh to start with to plan around i'm sure is helpful i just didn't know if there was something in the process where you were like man we're having to flex here you know there's a bit of an exchange but uh, but yeah so and then the other thing i wanted to kind of bring out a little bit that i hadn't seen you guys talk about with respect to this and that i guess i, I suppose i'm sort of uh in a distant sense tied to is mm-hmm. you know there's there's a deep and and pretty pretty deep running thread through the piece that ties to something that is quite emotional and that is you know pointed towards the you know the the notion of of the dad you know and, yeah and, and there's there's something a little bit heavy in it right like it's it's not it's not a lightweight sort of like this is for the dad's kind of vibe it was a different right. thing it was really about it actually kind of reminded me a little bit of there's 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 an angle or a perception i think you have of your father when you're young that you as you get older you you can always sort of instantly connect back to where you're you're looking up to them physically you know what i mean like you're yeah and you captured a lot of that sort of like the the sort of i don't want to call it reenactments but the people that were sort of acting in the piece really elicited this this feeling that i think anybody could or you know most people can can relate to and i felt like i felt like that that was one of the most surprising aspects of it to me was how it really had I know that regular car reviews always runs a, a sort of through line of something emotional, and, that, and that's something that's always made it successful. But I think that the way that you did it in this piece is the new, that's the newest, most breakthrough way of, of conveying the normal regular car review style in this new way. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to bring in those people and to, and to really drill in that, that, that narrative sort of, what do you want to call it, through line or, you know, the, kind of the heartbeat of the thing, really, to me, the center of it was that. It was really warm. Yeah, was that something that you sort of set out to do? Like, I, I really want it to be tied to family and, and feeling in that way? Or was it just like, nope, that's just the, it's the origin of the, the vehicle that we were looking at, and that's what it was about? Usually, when I, when I write scripts and when Nick and I write scripts, we'll write the ending first and work back from that. So it's easy to make a through line if you know where you're going with the with the script. So so yeah, we normally took the sentimental thing. It would be very easy to go negative with the with the whole review. So we and be <coughs> excuse me, be extra dirty with it. 
but because the intended audience for the video is someone who hopefully will give us money, then that means you can't turn them off, can't talk about my dick, you can't talk about banging strange pussy in the back of this. It can't, it, it has to sell in St. Louis, man. The the cutting room floor so of this was probably gets remarkable. Mad. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I was able to provide some family footage. Sure, thank you. Eight millimeter footage to the project, and I have to say that it was you know my, my so it, it opens up with footage of my father holding my older brother on the beach, and you know my father passed away probably I guess thirteen years ago. And it's, there's a weird thing where when you are older and you look at archival footage of your, your parents, for instance, and you just realize, like, man, they were doing all that. You know, my dad was just getting out of Vietnam and with two kids and flying planes and doing all this shit. And I'm, like, twice his, the age he was then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's such a strange prism to look through, back to, to see your elders as people that are younger than you that you still look up to in this sort of in revere in this way so the the very opening of that that piece i feel like for me i had like quite a unique experience with that whole project that no other human being could could have because it's actually materially my family mm-hmm. in this piece and with my father not being around, right? And the the elevation, you know, me thinking about times with my dad and taking us hiking on the Appalachian Trail or, you know, taking us skiing or doing whatever all the things we did when we were we were kids, you know, and he had he had a nineteen eighty two FJ forty. Nice. He bought that like, you know, when it was new and in, in eighty two and that was what I learned how to drive on and you know, all that. And so even though it was not a Westphalia it's a very similar kind of thing. It's a very specific type of car. And I don't know, so, so just for me, my whole experience of, of seeing seeing that and the way that you guys put it all together. And then to top it off with, I love, I, I want to talk a little bit about this too. Like the, the set building that you did, Ivan, is, is just tremendous. And I can see that obviously it's lasting in your space. You're making it like, a, <laughs> this, this is going to live on for a long time. You basically built your studio into like a, a living a sort of museum or fun house or something. But, but you built this beautiful set and you had this, this old television. On top of it, you had some sort of photographs. And some of those photographs, one of them was me sitting on top of my, 1964 Corvair in my high school parking lot in 1989 with my my friends like standing on the hood like I I think about like that if I had that car now and somebody stood on it like I would push them off like here I am like like my friends like uh, one of my friends and if you look in that picture one of my buddies is like six feet tall six three and he's sitting on the top of the windshield you know the top's down and he's just got his feet on the hood with his butt on the top of the Mm-hmm. Like yeah, like no, I can't believe that. But anyway, so so to have like my sort of high school vibe in there as this kind of backdrop in a subtle way, and then obviously the video footage of my family. It was really meaningful, man, and I really appreciated how you guys utilized it and did it with a, a sort of reverence, and it fits so nicely into the whole thing. I'm not going to say that it was easy to send that to my mom because there's still uh, not for any emotional reason, for just the even just the commercial interstitial that you guys put into this yeah. piece. This is that fine line, right, Brian? Like the, the St. The, how do you St. Louis this thing? And I think, that yeah. you, I think that that was a, probably a good, a good test because I sent it to my mom and she probably didn't even get that far into it, but, but there was no like, you used our family and what? 
they're talking about yeah. what yeah. so man it, it worked out it worked out really well and i was really honored and happy to to even have just that sort of small distant contribution to it man it was it was really cool oh, how that worked you. out um, i wouldn't call that a small contribution though i mean that really was a home run for us like you know brian tweeted out that does anybody have <laughs> home video footage of camping mm. right and you yeah. saw that and you you replied you know sent us this this thing and I mean, whether you're a digital hoarder or a hoarder, whatever, it's paid off because like it, it couldn't have been more perfect. Like I, when I saw that clip, actually, I was at your place down in Pennsylvania, Brian. We were doing something with with this film, and you're like, oh yeah, we got this thing. And you showed me this, the clip, and I, my, I, my jaw was was wide open. It was perfect, uh-huh. and and so what, when I saw your home footage, I knew that we could we could actually do this whole thing. You know, like yeah. like it. We didn't ha- like. We knew that we had to rely on archives of some sort, and without a cohesive storyline from a single family, right? Mm. Without without something that 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 held it all together. Yeah. Uh, just the few the you know the few scenes that that we filmed with actors weren't gonna weren't gonna hold it together. So right. Mm. So I I couldn't believe how good that was. So the the one clip was already a, a home run. Fast forward a bit longer, a bit, a bit more forward and in the future, and then I email you directly and say, hey, any chance you have any soccer footage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I happen to have that. So you, we've, got, we've got your soccer practice in there. And then I'm like, all right. I mean, you've already saved this production, so why not ask for something else? Do you have any footage of you in front of a car in, the, in 1989, 1988? And well, you know. Matter so, of fact. So, yeah, like it was it was absolutely perfect and I love that there's there's somebody who is, you know, a, a video artist who is a fan of the show who has already worked with RCR in a totally different capacity. Like you're a part of like that RCR family and mm. that your footage is the stuff that's in it makes this thing so much more special. Mm. So so I I mean it wasn't just a small contribution by any means and and because it was one family it it really it it helps you connect all the dots within all the all those archives, you know. Yeah. Where where otherwise what we're hunting through iStock.com or whatever and and trying to find disparate yeah. pieces. Yeah. Or like thrift and store just... hopping and then it's like four different. Yeah. yeah I, I think also like and I, I mean I, I, that's heavy and I really appreciate that very much. That does not go unnoticed by me at all. I really appreciate it. But the thing is is that uh, yeah if you had like sort of a hodgepodge of thrift store. Or assembly of just different people's families. I mean, you probably you still could have done it, but because I mean, you, you still could have worked it out. But I think that for me, when I'm working on something, it could be a record, it could be anything. There's something about knowing that you, there's an authenticity of your source material that you're borrowing or using it. If you have, if you're not shooting something right, and you have to bring something into it, even if no one else will ever know, I feel like that there's an intangible resonance that footage like that can have in the way that people actually respond to it uh, sort of subconsciously you know like when when it's when it's something that's real and tied together in, in, in actuality as opposed to just hodgepodge of like you said stock images or or whatever people can subconsciously uh, sense i think the, the the authenticity of of footage or things that are included in, in things like that and, and it matters you know it, it does matter i can't imagine how how big that emotion hit either like because i mean the script was I mean, we were we weren't pulling the emotional punches by any means. If like I remember, early drafts of the script were were not as as nostalgic as the as where we landed in the end. Yeah. And there, there was 
more humor, but also less of the sentimental stuff. Mm. And and I think, Brian, I mean, you'd, you'd say the same thing. Like Nick's contribution usually is the sentiment. Yeah. And yeah. and even uh, to some degree, I contributed one section of that based on my childhood memories mm. of, of my father, who's long gone at this point. But mm. but so for me, like I just wanted to get a little bit of my life in there. And for Nick, the theme song was based on his longing for his lost father. Mm. So like, I mean, there's a everybody's got father issues on some level or another, right? Yeah. And so so I think what's that phrase? There's universality and, and specificity, right? Yeah. So the yeah. fact that the fact that we could we could take specific like your actual footage but then layer on top of that things from our actual our lives as well and and thoughts that we've all had i think that must have hit i mean like you said harder for you than any other person on the planet because you're looking at your own dad you know yeah i was actually Um, a little bit worried not that something bad would happen or that it wouldn't be used well but just i was a little bit worried about how it would hit me when i saw it you know because I'm not. The well, it was of, a leap of faith to send your home footage to, yeah. to regular car reviews. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. I'm, I'm kind of an idiot, but it worked out. Yeah. So, but but the thing is, is that I don't know if if you recall in the video, but when when it is that, I think it's right at the opening, if I recall. I mean, and there's or right in the opening sequence, and the the score, by the way, is like is really nicely done. I don't know how you did that or. Yeah. But that was really thoughtfully done too. But the um, the emotive quality of the the score, while seeing my father, while hearing the words go over it, it was it was a strange digital sort of gut punch uh, for me to sort of experience. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It was like I, it was kind of thing where you can't figure out whether you want to cry or smile or or mm. or what. You know, it's like this weird netherworld of emotion because it's just, it's just it just is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's you know in filmmaking you always hope to to hit hit emotion right like you you want to elicit a change of some sort in your audience you know you want them to go on an emotional ride with you I mean of course again yours is is a singular experience for sure, sure. but we you know I I was really happy to get a lot of the comments especially about you know the end scene where the the father and son are are you know doing their, their camping thing and just sort of like mm. relating and smiling at each other in a sunny field yeah. and and we're we're hearing the sentiment about realizing that that you know your your dad is making it up as he was going along. yes your dad was making it up as he as he went along too yeah that again we're back to that universality yeah and and i think that hit a lot of the audience too right i think i think it was it was it was a really great thing for me to actually be able to read responses from folks because i i don't ever get that in my work like i, I work in yeah. film and tv where you're white labeling everything it, it well yeah I, or, or i mean it's broadcast but yeah. there's no comments on your tv broadcast right yeah so so it was it was really cool to, to just sort of see that like however sarcastic or or guarded or whatever some of the comments were about that ending that it, it did it did drive home for a lot of folks so yeah 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 i <clears throat> it's in terms of the, the the vehicle itself, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I guess I'm just curious about how that happened, what that was, because is I know that typically, Brian, you guys don't have a lot of time ever with the cars that you are filming, right? You're never really camping out with a car for a long time. No. Do anything like that. It's very, very quick. I mean, my God, when I was 
uh, witness to you guys in Nashville filming at the Lane Motor Museum and just seeing like a rotisserie of just, you know, like, next car, let's go. Yeah. You know, it's wild. So what was the experience of being able to sort of live with a, a car for a little while? And I, from what I understand, I may be mistaken, but Ivan, maybe you were able to live with it more to film it. But Brian, maybe your interaction with it was more limited. It was, yeah. We completely, we wrote most of the script before even driving this thing. Mm. My concern was not really to give an accurate view of what it's like to drive one of these things. My concern was to just make a sellable script and more to talk about what this car represents rather than the vehicle it was. A lot of my knowledge of the Westfalia vans came from Justin Kramer, who does work on them. Often, he'd rather not, but he knows how to. Yeah. So... So I was channeling him a little bit. I didn't drive that Westphalia van once during the whole shoot. I wanted to, but those days were getting long. And since the script was already written, then there was really no point of me holding up production for to just go have some fun funsies around Toronto in a van that doesn't go very fast. I got the gist of what the Westphalia does as a vehicle. And after being around it, I knew I was right in my assertions that this is a ridiculously stupid vehicle. <laughs> oh, that's great, right? It, that is a perfect, when you think about paralleling that with sort of the understanding that your father was flawed as you are and will be, you know, par the parallel of just this, this vehicle of like, nope, it's, it's, it was it was not perfect at all. <laughs> in fact, it was very misguided in many ways and very susceptible. But, uh, you know, I, the way that that all works, I think is really powerful, man. I mean, it's, it's a really cool thing. And then turning the corner, I guess, a little bit to just like, I don't know, business kind of shit. But, I mean, this is because you want to make something bigger happen. And you've mentioned, mm -hmm. you've mentioned some other platforms. You know, is that... And I want to kind of bring forward a little bit of some of the things you were saying was sort of about YouTube earlier, you know, but it feels like a dangerous thing for anyone to be reliant on income in any way on a monolithic platform that is, right. that, is, that is controlled by robots. I don't know. Like, it just seems like a weird place to, to rest your head. So I can it see. Is. Yeah. So I can see a lot of people wanting to, you know, have that ability. I mean, is there something where irrespective of the outcome of this and who picks it up or who doesn't or what it leads to or you know maybe there's things going on i don't know about but that's fine but is it something where it's like in the same spirit of rcr like i'm not going to be stopped we're going to do this and are, do you ever look at like other platforms or greater sort of modalities on how to do your thing no not at this point yeah uh, i'm making i'm making enough to pay the rent i i knew enough to put away money for lean times I mean, to be topical about these times, YouTube profits are down about 50% and because no one's making product, so there's nothing to sell, so there's nothing to advertise, so the price of ad space on YouTube goes down, so the price of the creators, there's less to give out to the creators, so there you go. Don't worry, I'm not starving. In fact, in fact, I'm eating right now. <laughs> in fact, I'm eating right now. And there's, I, I, I want to buy another car. Not, not, not. Nick and I were talking about this before you called, 
but anyway, I, I can go into that later about what RCR's third car would be. Um, or rather, my third car would be. I had three cars for a while. I had the Subaru, the MR2, and the Falcon, and I got rid of the MR2 because I hardly drove it because I was it was so perfect. I didn't want to touch it. God, I can identify um, with that so much, that problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a, such a weird thing to be precious about something, but also I, I feel like having a classic car that you use as a daily in that way, just knowing that you're not going to find replacement parts. If you, if you get hit, this is over. There's something about well, the, the well, volatility the body, of that. body of the Falcon is, oh, excuse me, you're talking about the MR2? Yeah, the yeah, sorry, yeah. 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 I mean, just like me driving around in my car, I use it as a daily. Nashville drivers are fucking crazy. It's awful. Roads are bad. I still drive it as a daily. I don't drive a ton, but I mean... I'm like I'm not going to just put this thing in a museum and and let it sit there. That's what it had been doing, you know. And I sort of rescued it from. They want to be driven, but then you're in this constant like battle of like, can I just accept this car? Whatever may happen, may happen. Or am I, you know, am I going to be able to live with myself if this, you know, something goes wrong? I don't know. I just I just sort of let it go, man. I'm just like fuck it. I'm I'm just going to drive it all the time, and then whatever happens happens. Every, it's like a lesson in impermanence all the time. Yeah. I'm fine with that from the Falcon because the Falcon was flawed from the start, but that MR, MR2 wasn't. Like I was the second owner; it was yeah, beautiful. It was all it really all it really did was carry my laundry to my parents' house. <laughs> and speaking of laundry, that is what I'm saving for eventually, and what I hope the I don't even what we want to call it the grand vision for RCR or RCR Amazon or RCR Netflix is uh, gosh I'd like a house someday mm. renting is great or maybe even just to rent a house something with a garage yeah. something where all my stuff isn't spread out something where I don't have to Not that I play my music loud, but <laughs> I, I want to have a party over. I want to have people over and not have to, because yeah, yeah. Chrissy next door has to get up for work at seven o'clock. Yeah, stuff like stuff like that. And also, well, Ivan saw my apartment. It's fine for two people. Any more than that, you're saying excuse me every three feet. Yeah, I don't know what the square footage of this place is. It's not much. So Ivan, you got you got a, you got a nice studio, right? You've got a whole you, your company's got a whole a whole big setup, and you got old TVs in there, a weird lobby, psychedelic shit going on. What's happening with all that? Like, tell me about your company a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I personally have a an affinity for mid century stuff. So like, me too. Yeah. So that the the lobby in my studio is sort of my outlet, I guess. For that. <laughs> yeah. So like a lot of that already existed. Half the stuff from from the from the set of our the opening in, in, in the piece was just i already had it here so i just like moved it 10 feet i just had to buy the tv basically yeah <laughs> but so, yeah so like i've got this production company it used to be a, a more like well-rounded digital agency uh you'd call it we just celebrated 20 years in business last year so like nice. we've been a, yeah. thank you thank you i don't talk about it ever which is my downfall <laughs> but yeah so so we've got this this agency we started in in web web design web development then branding and got into broadcast services about 13 years ago so i've been you know working up the the, the ranks within tv and mm-hmm. film 
We have a, I have a business partner now in a New York studio that happened about 11 years ago. So we've got Toronto and, and New York and uh, Toronto is older. So we have more facilities here, more equipment. And we have like a, yeah, a decent little both production and post-production space. So, you know, got a few suites, got some open space to do some studio shooting. And it's it's nice to just be able to like take over, you know, whatever it is, 400 square feet of the, the, the area and just say for the next three weeks, I'm just going to build a living room here in the 1960s and then flip it over into the 1980s and nobody's going to bother me, you know. And you can keep all your stuff there and it doesn't clutter your living space or your other world. Mm-hmm. You know, you keep keep things separate. I think, Brian, that's kind of what you're talking about, right? It's like, a, yeah. like oh, a, yeah, I'm just, all spread out. I got yeah. stuff over my parents' house still. Got to go over there and do laundry. That's where I was earlier today. That's that's like a little thing. I mean, my parents are getting up there in age, so it's nice to go say hello. Yeah. You know, my dad. And that's that's a, another thing. I can see my dad. My dad's still fine, but I, I noticed that he's slowing down, and a little bit he forgets what he told me yesterday. And sometimes it feels like he gets on these word trains. Like, he'll start telling a story, and you've heard this, like, you told me this yesterday. And he'll plow right through it. He'll say, well, at any rate, and just keep going with the story. And I'm like, that. My dad's 75 now. So it's it's going to be a new experience as you know we begin to care for our parents. It's, I suppose it's something new for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a weird wrinkle uh, how that... how how the roles switch. I mean, for the whole pandemic situation, me just trying to, in the early stages of this, trying to explain to them like, no, no, this is serious shit right now. And this is not a, a coin flip that you will win. You know, like you have to get yourself right and out of, out of around from other people, neighbors, all this, you know? So it's, it's, I found my, I found myself sort of cognitively struggling to just get, the message across in a simple, almost like a directive. And I realized like, man, this is exactly how they felt with me as a kid because I could not, and they would get mad because I couldn't synthesize the simplest assertion or command possible. I just had too many questions or I had my own, I didn't want to have my style cramped, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny how that works. So, and then... Ivan, with you, is is this a, a sort of a tangential foray relative to your business to work with RCR, or is this something that falls right in line with sort of your general MO of clients and doing business, even though I know this is sort of like a, a different type of collaboration than a work-for-hire scenario? Yeah, absolutely. It's It's definitely something new and different. It's not something that yeah, we've ever done before at all. You know, we're t- we're typically at yeah, work for hire, and and so a production company will will bring us on to to supplement whatever part of the production they need, whether it's a cinematographer, editor, colorist, producer, whatever. So, so yeah, that that was kind of new, but that's also sort of where we're going with our company as well. We've been we've been at this for a really long time, and and have been also identifying like what what what's not out there right now that we think should be. So, I mean it. It started way more, I don't know, innocent than than as calculated as that might sound. Because yeah. you know, at first it was just like, I really appreciate what these guys are doing. Could I maybe help in some way? Right? It was like I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't have a bunch of money, but I've got a lot of experience, and 
maybe I can help them on a, on an episode or two, right? Yeah. And then then it turned into oh, well, actually, what happens if we like do something even bigger with them? Yeah. And so we did <laughs> we did wind up dumping a bunch of money into making that pilot <laughs> in, in the end. Of course, but, like it, yeah. but that it was just because we you know we had a passion to make this thing and make it you know regardless of whether or not it lands at, at, for something bigger we want it like we have this this relic this thing that we we made that exists out in the world and thankfully reached a bunch of people and hit those emotional buttons that we were talking about earlier you know so so on one level i'm just happy with with that and and of course we want it to go on and be something different and you know we're, we're at a point with with my company where we've been developing different ideas and and are are starting to talk to platforms or broadcasters to try and try and get those ideas made. So yeah. we, we're still a services company, but are moving also towards original production. So it's yeah. it's a, a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to think about, you know, how do you keep doing things? How do you scale things that you're doing? Because every project you take on is going to be its own sort of heavyweight lifting and its own, you know, it takes a lot of work to do what you, what you're doing. And, and you can only optimize so much. The work is still just the work and, and it is what it is, you know, and the bigger that it gets, the only thing that can probably happen from that point is just uh, more sort of, I don't know, convoluting of maybe what your original uh, sort of style or hope or intent or methodology or the way that you want to do your shit and be known for your creative style, whatever it is, like, or your professionalism. It's a hard thing to, to think about, like, I got to grow this business, but how, how do I manage that, you know, and still keep what made it, you know, good for me in the bit to begin with to, or interesting to do. So I think it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool middle point. I mean, if I were, uh, is there like a simple like, do you ever think about like what is a simpler way to do this like crudely more simple or are you a kind of person that's like no i want to go to the extra level of detail for everything like for a, a bad example but i think about something like like i notice things all the time where i'm like fuck that is such an easy thing to do and it's so earnest and it just works and nobody had to work that hard it doesn't mean that people don't have to work that hard it means that it looks effortless you know but i think about like mystery science theater or something like what a great fucking yeah. idea you know what i mean just yeah. show the damn thing put some silhouettes in front of it get some guys in a studio to, to roast and edit and you're done like this is amazing granted there's a hell of a lot more craft and i'm sure uh, nightmares that went into making that or whatever just like anything is yeah. but i'm really into these ideas that, like whenever i see somebody do something simple and elegant and effective you know versus then when you see like craftsmen right and you're definitely a craftsman you know struggling with i, I want to do it's like, do you want to be, uh, you know, the world's greatest cinematographer or just have the best idea and the best execution of something? And how do you reconcile those two things? Does that make any sense? I feel like I wrestle with this yeah. all the time and I'm not explaining it very well, but it's kind of like, no. I'm, a, I'm an audio nerd. I'm a mastering nerd. I'm a whatever. I'm a video nerd. I'm a, a nerd in a lot of things. And I know what's good and what's better and what's best. And I know what I aspire to in terms of skill level. But it's kind of like when I first started playing drums when I was a teenager, you want to play every damn, you're playing 30 second notes on everything. Because yeah, you're, just trying, yeah. you're just trying to figure out like how much shit can I do? Like what, my, what can my body even do? What are the limits of my technical capacity? And then when you get older, you're like, can I play a 4-4 straight ahead beat and make it perfect and not yeah. and, and actually leverage space? How do you reconcile that from your perspective, Ivan, in terms of like the complexity of your work and the heaviness of your work and the, you know what I mean, the gravity of it mm -hmm. versus like how do you find like efficient 
ways to sort of streamline what you're doing or just get to the essence of something and bypass a lot of the shit that people usually get caught up in sort of traps with? Yeah, so that's a great question and and you actually expect it, uh, expressed it perfectly because it, it's that's that's a struggle that I don't think I'm ever going to stop having mm. and I think I think I would hope that a lot of artists do just deal with that very issue and I've I've probably overused this phrase but I I always think of it like like I'm water and I'm going to fill whatever container you give me mm. so so if you give me 6 months to make something mm-hmm. I'm going to use all 6 months mm-hmm. And probably then just a little bit more. And at 11.59 before the deadline, I'll call it done, right? So the as it relates specifically to this pilot, there was a lot more we wanted to do. Right? We, we cut about four minutes out of the script just out of necessity of we, we, we can't afford to keep shooting. Like we've spent mm. 50% more money than we were willing to spend on this thing. And, and like 300% of the time, but it's not like for us it's not a it's not just a business argument it's also a passion argument right so but even i on a passion project will have limits and have to say forget it so like i was legitimately evaluating whether or not i should drive to connecticut to go film of first and second generation volkswagen bus with a different youtuber right like he was on board with having us in it was just a scheduling question but i'm like this just doing that is going to cost me at least $1,000 in gas and Airbnb. And then I have to, I even was talking to Brian briefly, hey, do you want to come out with me and do this? And now he's got to go out there. And I'm like, well, how do we do a value add? Can he like shoot a review out there or something to make it worth his while for his YouTube money? It's like this whole, and I, I just went, okay, no, there's stock footage. We'll just, yeah. we'll find some archives. Like, uh-huh. th- I, like I, I get that they're crazy ask. I have to explore them. I have to see can we make something, and then I just got to set it aside, you know. Yeah. So, so I, when when you say like, what's what's that genius idea? I look at RCR like that. I look at I look at what Brian and Nick have done, and, and I'm I'm in awe of what they've produced for six years, every single oh, week, pushing out something that you know. I I, I they, I'll pull the from from what they've said in the past. The quality varies from week to week, yeah. but there's a lot of home runs in there, and and within their constraints, they've prioritized the writing, you know. So, you know, they 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 bang out these videos by you know what an hour to three hours with each car in production. They'll they'll co-write it for a day, and then I don't know how many days Brian spends editing, but but the the three. speed at which they work three days, yeah. So yeah. so all in all, five days roughly, give or take on a on a video. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I put into just pre-production on our special, right? Like, and 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 that was just making call sheets and getting permits, right? So, so like the scale of effort is so out of whack. And but so to me, I look at that and go, they're producing really great stuff in a systematic way, as in like not in a bad way. I mean like regularly, they're 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 coming out with this stuff, and and it's clever and it's funny, and so. I look at that and, and on some level, sure, I wish, I wish, I've, I've thought about it, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot, Brian, but like, you know, I, I've thought about saying, well, hey, how about I just hang out with you guys for a few weeks and we'll bang out a bunch of videos, you know, because like, I can still add that production value and, and what, what I can yeah. shoot is going to be way better than what, what you're able to shoot because I have the equipment, I've got the experience, right? Yeah. But that, but, that would actually be a con, like a, a stress for you though, Brian, in a certain way, wouldn't it? Like, as much as it would be a benefit, it would be a trade-off, right? I don't keep going, well, but I just wanted to like put that out there. If we filmed cars, 
if we didn't have a controlled environment, yes. Because when I film cars, we're done in three hours. Every second that I'm standing, that camera is going. Mm-hmm. It's I have the whole workflows in my head. To involve anybody else with that, it'll look a little nicer, and it's fun to experiment. There, there, there comes a video. There's an upcoming video where I had a car all day because my friend Dominic from Chicago he bought a car and drove it out here. So him and his girlfriend need something to do. So he came out here. We filmed all day, but we experimented with other ways to get road shots. And what I did is we put cameras on my motorcycle. Hmm. And I was riding my bike about a f- two feet away from his car. So with the GoPro on. Nice. And like, that's going to make an inter- interesting shot. Because that's the car is actually moving. It's going fast now. <laughs> and we're on a road. Now, so that was neat. And we also did some other stuff. I have one of those, like a consumer long zoom 4K camera. But the four- I had this talk with Ivan before like my 4k camera isn't better any better than my 1080 dslr because the 4k has a sensor about the size of your pinky nail and the dslr is full frame so dslr still looks good at 1080 than that thing does at 4k anyway blah blah blah. Mm. i still like my panasonic it's the dick around camera i I give two shits what happens to this thing yeah so it often gets good shots because i don't care if it breaks so i put this camera in dangerous situations (laughs) like whatever i don't care anyway if if I was doing something where I had to be on camera, I'd need someone to hand the camera to. Mm-hmm. So that would be like when we did the Lemons rally mm-hmm. and we tossed around some other ideas that weren't car related that I wanted to do. I'm like, that'd be neat to have that along. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're all festival based and who knows when that's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Even it'd be fun to like just do a road trip somewhere. Like I've never gone on an adventure with the Falcon. Mm-hmm. And I did drive it four hours yesterday. I drove it to my friend's house. Uh, people who are familiar with the channel uh, channel know who Tony Airlines is. Shout out to his Instagram. Go follow him, Tony Airlines Pilot Fun. So he lives out in Hamilton Township, New Jersey, and that's about two hours from here. So. About two hours in my Falcon is of that thing going down the highway and the wind and everything. So, yeah, (laughs) it'd be fun to go on a trip, though, where I could do about two hours in that car before before like the sound before you need a break. And that'd be fun to have someone along to go on a road trip somewhere with that. Like, okay, we have this car, a road trip in a cl- in a resto-modded classic car that's kind of built for handling. That'd be neat. Or they do another Lemons Rally, something like that. So, Ivan, that was you crammed in that Yugo? I was only in it briefly. So so I was, I was following along in my very modern, very luxurious Mercedes SUV, and <laughs> I had no issues with any of that journey. Um, so so I, I was... I was in the filming car, you yeah. know, uh, getting out exterior shots mostly. God, when you talk about going on the highway for a long time with an engine just running, uh, yeah. I was remembering, yeah, your your lemons rally stuff with Brian. Yeah, with the with the Yugo, that was unbelievable. 
Yeah, and I think that like that that was a format that worked in terms of us collaborating yeah. together. Like that was a much lower effort thing for me, where I had a backpack and a tripod. Like I I I didn't have all the artifice and all the crap with me, and and have to deal with this sort of like high cinema grade stuff that that we were shooting the the uh, special with. So. You know, I, I I've expressed this to Brian before. Like, I'm I'm totally into doing the sort of travel stuff that they do, and and I think can like really add something to those bits. True. But that's why I haven't like said, hey, let let me film a bunch of your episodes with you, because like, yeah, I can replicate exactly what he does. I can be in and out in an hour and shoot that stuff, and it will look better. Like, I will yeah. improve what he does. But the only benefit to that is that he can maybe focus on something else for a while. But then what's the benefit to me? Yeah. Right. Like how am I furthering my craft with that? And I'm like, I I suppose I'm I'm I do the my other services for hire, but like that hasn't been our relationship, right? Yeah. Like it's it's been more like, can I can I do something that is interesting for me as a filmmaker or as a cinematographer? So I mean I admire what they do, but then on the other hand, I have to build a career as a cinematographer. Yeah. And and so if I'm doing something that has complicated lighting setups or really interesting camera moves or at, with this pilot, I, I, I was learning how to do rolling shots in a, in a higher end way, still entry level as professionals are concerned, but but higher than strapping down <laughs> a tripod in the back. Yeah. You know? yeah. So so like, you know, there, there's a lot of learning there for me and and, and learning learning some of the producing side i, I won't get into the specifics yeah. but there, there was a lot that i i got from doing the project as well so and that's the way it has to so, be right if there's not a if there's not a if you're if you're in your position you're the only thing you can retain is your the value of it to you and the license or ability to say i will do that or no i won't do that and it's not bound by some overhead or, or payment or something where there's this other power exchange that that can often screw up a lot of uh, really good things. It's cool to be, I think, to work in a laboratory type environment like what you guys are doing, without all of that, because you're just going to get right. You're going to get to the essence of what works or what doesn't so much faster because you don't have the veil and the and the business bullshit. You know, work for hire kind of dynamic. Well, at the end of the day, I call the shots. Even though Brian, you do at the end of the day call the shots, right? It's your property essentially, right? You know. But I, I think the best things happen when people can just let each other, like I, when I was producing a lot of records, you would have times where if you if an artist wanted to work with you, then they would come over to your studio, you kick stuff around, you you play music that you like or that you're working on, or maybe get them to put something down as sort of like a sketch, and you kind of play around. You kind of you have to sort of go through that process before somebody's going to be like, okay, now I want you to produce this record, and and we're going to be in a studio for four four weeks. 18 hours a day until it's done you you have to have some warm-up right some 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 dinner some you know, something yeah. right before all that happens so that's a good spot to that's a good spot to be in and oh so one of the things i'm doing um i've found this to be a, a really fun question to ask people so i'm going to ask you guys and you guys can give me your each your your best story if you have one if you don't have one nobody's responsible to to have one but i've been collecting these what i'm you know oh shit moments right but everybody that's an expert in their field has seemingly a story where they had the most miserable embarrassing embarrassing sort of failure or shortcoming or just missed the boat entirely or 
whatever it is, some hugely awful thing that happens where it's the most, you know, demoralizing experience of your life. And I'd like to hear about it. So I didn't know if you had anything, Ivan, like where it was like, yep, there was a time where I was working on this project and I screwed the pooch this way or that way, or this was the most humiliating professional failure of my life, you know, besides this moment right now. <laughs> yeah, agreeing to be on a live podcast. Um, <laughs> and yeah. You don't have to. I mean, here's the thing also. I think it's perfectly reasonable that you don't even have a story because you've just been running the table. I'd, I'd love to think so, but that's probably not. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's a worse thing, but the thing that pops to mind was probably about eight years ago where I... I had already been working in post-production for a few years and had just been shooting a bit here and there on the side, kind of doing corporate stuff, but got an opportunity to uh, be a camera operator on a new sort of reality event show thing that like it was on for the History Channel up here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so just sort of more as a tester, I think, because I was doing post on the show, they're like, yeah, you can come and operate. And so they, they were going to fly us out to uh, the West Coast, uh, to Victoria, B.C., and and film these these biopacks like a, basically just a, a a short documentary about the characters that are on the on the show mm-hmm. and there is some sort of a a miscommunication and i'm gonna probably say it was me just not reading the damn email properly but a part of my equipment package was supposed to be bringing a tripod and i thought they were providing everything and not including the tripod well so i i show up for the shoot and they said, so where's the rest of your package? Like, well, isn't it with that stuff over there? No, you're the, the director just looked at me and said, well, I guess I guess you're just going to be shaky all day. And, oh. you know, so I, I just I couldn't I couldn't do the style of shooting that they wanted, which was, you know, rock solid. And I'm on a prime lens. Uh, this is getting a little specific. Most you, people you won't realize it's cool. But. Yeah, so like I'm on a prime lens with no image stabilization, which means you're really going to see any little shape. And it's a tiny little handheld camera. It's not one of the big broadcast shoulder mounts, which are more stable. So so basically I knew, in like before I had recorded a single frame, I knew all my footage was going to look like crap and not be what the director wanted. And it took a long time before he wanted to work with me again. Yeah. So... That was that was not great. I, I'm I'm always now over prepared when it comes to equipment. It seems that way, right? Like you're you're very even in our exchanges, right? It's like okay, well then we're gonna this is how this needs to be, and this works well this way, and you should try this, and you know you but you do it. You, you're very good at people have different vibes with that, right? People that know more than you, you know about things. You're you're very you have a very sort of just a genuine helpful kind of nature about you that's not. Uh, patronizing, right? You, you, I'm sure oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm sure you've been in a lot of situations. Well, I mean, ultimately, it depends on personality types too, and all that. A lot of people can be patronized in situations where you're like, "I didn't. I had no idea that you thought I was being a total dick there. Yeah, I thought I was being fully normal, but we're trying to get some shit done. So I don't know. It's hard to monitor yourself in those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. But I'm just all about the facts and like, okay, what needs to get done? And I don't, you know, Brian, like, like that moment, like when, when you were filming in Nashville and you had just been talking about Ivan. I didn't know Ivan at all at that point, but you were like, you know, when I saw Ivan and he had the fucking the cases and the yeah you know, just like everything is he's got cutouts for every fucking th- like just perfect yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and then I have one pelican <laughs> case and I think I'm awesome yeah and then you're like you're like uh 
you're like, I'm trying to just remember what I have in my pockets. <laughs> there is a thing I notice when I'm on that when I'm on the road, I can't put anything down because if I put it down, I forget it. Brian, don't put it down. Put it on you. And sometimes people try to hand me things, and I'm like, I can't take that object because if I take an object, <laughs> it's going to go out of my brain. I need my wallet, my phone, my key. Well, we don't have keys when we're on the road where all my stuff is. And if I start thinking about it, I'm not going to think about filming. I have so, yeah. one pocket where my le- my lens cap always goes in that one pocket. And I have my yep. lens cleaner in another pocket. And if I stray from that formula, forget <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So what's what's your failure, Brian? What's your... There was the time the guy ran into his own car. And, it's the, I, and I think it's the first frame of a Honda Activan. And... I was, I had a friend with me who was, okay, I have to set the scene. We're driving through a cornfield, not through the corn, through a path in the cornfield. The Honda Acti, the subject car, is not being driven by the owner. It's being driven by a friend of mine. The owner is in his other K truck is in a k truck like a mitsubishi mini truck k truck jdm thing he's driving that i am in the bed braced with my legs and holding my slr like this filming the subject car we go up to a small hill the subject the camera car is manual the driver lets off the clutch, and backs into his own car. And partly it was, it's always my fault, because I should have known to tell Eric, who was driving the the subject car, don't follow closely when we're on the road. I got a zoom lens. But he followed closely. Of course, that's because we just got finished doing on-the-road shots where you do follow closely. Different camera, different lens. I didn't take my good lens off-road. I had a worse lens, but it was also... I think it was like the kit lens, the 18-55, to rather than what's... Uh, the When we shoot on the road, it's a 28-80-something. to 80 something, 80, or 24-85 to 85 or something like that. And it's always at 85. So that was an oh-shit moment, because I see the car coming. No, 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 boom! Now it was a love tap, but it was still a dent. Like shit. We had some other oh shit moments when cars just kind of veer close to each other. We've had a few run-ins with ECNR, which is uh, Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. These <laughs> Sounds so are shady. <laughs> they're park rangers, but they're they have guns. So DCNR is usually park rangers for a lot of the national park service around pennsylvania not a whole lot going on in parks and if there are it's usually they're looking for drifters or meth heads maybe busting kids smoking the reefer but not a whole lot goes on in this section so you know they all want to be Dudley Do-Right and have their next big collar and further their career. Granted, we need them out there. They're the people who come find you. 
And the whole opiate thing is probably why they're carrying firearms. Although we do have bears, so there's that. Mm. It's good to be armed in that respect. So, but I remember this one time when this freaking judge dread of a community park. Like, this is like a little, this is like a medium-sized, like, lake. Like, it's a place for canoes and stuff. And this guy and his... GMC Envoy police package comes out. He's got a gut. He's got a freaking Glock. He's got extra mags. And he's like asking, what is this for? Do you have permits? Stuff like that. And I'm like, and there's... So, usually, like every single time I've had this problem, I talk my way out of it. But at any moment, it could go wrong. Oh, and I remember... I was with other police officers, like like some of our uh, volunteers who had the cars that day uh-huh. were also police officers, and they're just standing and smiling <laughs> as I as I socially engineered this guy into a better mood, and nothing happened. But that's those are my oh those are my oh shit moments. Ivan can tell you that when we're out filming, my number one goal is to not appear suspicious. So no big cameras ever. We are not filming a YouTube show. This is my friend. He's thinking about selling his car, and I'm just taking pictures. Mm. That's good. That's that's an easily digestible story. And usually people only approach us and, and are concerned when it's like a Corolla. <laughs> or like a legit pedestrian everyday car or like some hyundai that is worth like eight hundred dollars <laughs> so it just feels like surveillance at that point that's unnecessary or something yeah yeah like why, why, no why are they picking on that guy car, yeah if we have a classic car we could be there all day because that makes sense mm. attractive car taking photos and video <laughs> no longer confused i'm gonna go back to playing uh freaking bejeweled on my metro pcs phone and not deal with these people <laughs> yeah it's like yeah if, if you if you're if you're out photographing a model you know doing like the sort of you know okay here you are we're gonna we're gonna you're scantily clad in this alley and we're gonna shoot these photographs of you people are like oh that's a beautiful girl that's half naked so we're that's fine yeah you know that's totally fine but then if it's like any other thing where it's just norm, normal people being photographed, it's kind of, well, what is this for? They've, all of a sudden, there's like this media, yeah. media the, the weird specter of media looming over this, this yeah. scenario or something. Hey, Ivan, I do you remember have, this. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, Ivan, do you have any like journal, journalism background at all or any, anything in that realm? No, not, not specifically journalism, no. Oh. I, I, went, I went to film school briefly, but not, no, not, not journalism. Random, I, like, I, yeah. I've, I've worked in a lot of social issue docs, so like, I'm like, around mm-hmm. journalists and people with you know, journalistic uh, intention. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder. There's some, there is a point, right, where you, you, you have to, like for me, at least in my life, I've kind of just gotten to the point where I really just take a lot of satisfaction in trying to elevate others i'm not i'm not really about like particular causes i I mean i will support something or work on a project that is about that thing you know perhaps but me championing something i'm not like i'm not that guy but i think that there is something about as you get older the directionality i think of your work has to kind of change 
even if it is how you make money because the more it's just sort of about you the more exhausting or tiring it seems to to get you know if it's like your vision or your your thing there's a point where you sort of you have to turn that directionality to start sort of not support but sort of uplift or raise you know uh, elevate other people i think is sort of a, a turning of the corner in the creative sort of existence. I mean, not everybody gets there. I mean, you know, I wish I was one of those people that's just like, I'm just going to just get a Ducati and start doing heroin and see what happens, you know? Like that's I think been, those two were, were, were something you get. Ducati and heroin. Yeah, like my, my, I always thought when I get old, like if I reach 80, I don't know if I want to go beyond that really anyway. So I just thought I'm going to get a motorcycle. I don't ride motorcycles at all. I mean, I did maybe when I was a kid, you know, like whatever, XR, okay. XR80s or something, you know, when I was a kid. Right. But you know, I, mean, I can ride a, a motorcycle a little bit, but I want to get one where it's just wildly overpowered and dangerous. And then I just start using some sort of psychedelic drug or addicting drug that I'm afraid to do. But it made it made Jimmy Page really good at guitar. So I want to just know <laughs> like what, how that would work, you know, but I want to do it at this non-volatile part of my life. So I feel like when I'm 80, it's sort of like, yeah, you know, good for him. You know, like people don't, get mad you know when 80 80 year olds take on something new generally but I, yeah. i'm not a needle guy though so i don't know how like i don't know i have to think about this more yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well um i'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up for you guys but i really appreciate the time we've gone a little oh, longer than what you. i even thought man but uh, I, yeah i can ramble yeah, no, no it's all good it's all good but I, again yeah really appreciate it It was an honor to be in any any part of, of your project and i'll make sure that in the all the the broadcasting of this that we we give everybody the links and all that so i won't bother you guys with telling people where they can see it because go to youtube regular cars figure it out grow up yeah Yeah, youtube regular cars and ivan is visual inclination thank you yeah ivan and his whole team i feel like we've done a couple of podcasts at this point and i'm the only face of this but like Mm. I've got a partner, Julian, who's been like super into this behind the scenes, mm. and and we've got like a whole team of guys that that made this happen. So like, so why won't you it was, let him it was a podcast visual... then? Like, what's the what's the deal with that? Like, why are you there's trying this, to like keep him out of it or whatever? Minor pandemic that's been going on, <laughs> and like social distancing and all that. Yeah, no, Julian like does not want to ever be in front of a camera. He's just mm. like he's the behind the scenes guy, but. Anyways, yeah, I just wanted to give a little shout out to, to all the folks that actually made this all possible. So Visual Inclination is, is really a team, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, man, awesome. Well, and do you guys have any other regular cars announcements or things that you, do you have any breaking uh, news, Brian? No, ap- apart from I wanna, I wanna get a, a third car again and I don't know what to get. Uh, it's going to be something to keep me busy during the pandemic. I want something to wrench on. I'm not sure what I should get. I can tell you. What? Here, now, here's the thing, Brian. Think about how many times, how many hours of your life you have spent telling people, like assessing their <laughs> needs, what they're going to use a car for, and then suggesting, like, this is what you need. I know that you want the whatever, but that's a piece of shit. Just get a Corolla. You're you're not yeah. special. Stop being special. Right, you know, or whatever. Like you're, you're really good at at, at, at assessing people's needs. It, it, if I remember correctly, it seems like at one point you were kind of not brokering, but sort of helping people, 
like actually buy cars in some way or you were guiding somebody i forget what it was maybe some uh, we were doing uh we were doing like punch-up work for a show on esquire network called spike ferrison's car matchmaker ah so we wrote a little bit for that but often it's a question that comes up in almost every single interview yeah what car should i get yeah so i'll tell you so you are going to get uh, now you can choose the the exact year, but I, I suspect it's going to be probably a '99 Forerunner. Uh, oh, that could be a thing. I didn't even think of that. It's. I thought you were going to say get a Corolla, like you've been telling everybody else. <laughs> get your money where your mouth is, <laughs> and if you need the space, get the wagon. You know? Yeah, the DX. I saw one of those today with an antique plate on it. It was like a total sort of methed out shit falling uh, off of it. You know, just terrible condition Corolla DX wagon. And I still was like, I would still, I would, I would love to have that car. But no, ninety nine. I think yeah. Four, yeah, Forerunner. Because the thing about it is like for for shooting and doing and winter and four wheel drive and all the just the perfect balance of all the the capabilities without feeling like like I loved your for, your forerunner review when you were talking about like it's like driving a Camry you know oh yeah it totally drives it's a camera just drives like a camera which is like the greatest thing about it right like that it's not mm. this like you know it's not trying to like blow blow your mind with some driving experience but man is it super versatile affordable and there we my we got for my wife we got a 2004 v8 forerunner uh-huh uh, and it is like yeah, they don't do the v8 anymore no they only did it, i think for a few years and I realized after we bought it that that probably was stupid because even though the V8 is great, the V6s had timing chain, V8s have a timing belt. Yeah. And so one of the first things that we had to do because hers is very, it's a very low mileage forerunner. It's like seventy thousand miles, and it's you know two thousand four. So we were like, man, that thing's probably rotted, and you know, like we're not, we haven't come this far to have it just break down on the side of the road, and and it's an interference engine. You know, like I'm not going there. Yeah. So, but anyway, but. The whole thing is like back window goes down, and you can yep. sa- you can yeah. safely keep stuff in the back secured easily because of the doors actually the hip of the door line is just perfect. So I've been able to actually put like uh, cases in the back of it, and then put like uh, instead of using a gimbal camera, just using my my Inspire Two drone camera that's perfect gimbal stabilized, but just shooting out of the back of the car like perfect. And I was like, God, those guys, they would, if they could do this, because then you can just sit in the front seat. So I'm sitting, I had my wife driving. We're driving through downtown, getting all these shots, whatever. And uh, I'm in the passenger seat with the, like the display of the drone. I can turn the camera. I can, you know, totally control everything that's going on. And I'm shooting without having to shoot through glass without the fear of anything. And I didn't even have to have anything tied down. It's just kind of sitting back there and it's fine. So I had a totally stabilized controllable monitorable camera that i could do everything from the front seat while shooting out yeah. the back and i was like god this is the best car besides i guess the whatever the the land cruiser you know anything where the back window goes down that was like the yeah. dr- that's the dream have you calculated your mileage there with the v8 option yes uh, it actually does it for you and then we've also calculated it and it is horrible it's it's okay. yeah it's horrible it's uh it's pretty consistent horrible it's almost like I like it when gas mileage is so shitty that it doesn't really you're not thinking about highway versus city it's just the same shitty mileage like no matter what seemingly that you do but it's I think about 17 That's not bad okay. for a giant truck like that. Yeah, for a V8. Like, yeah. Yeah, like 
It's reasonable. But anyway. But but yeah. Oh, what was I going to ask you? I guess I don't know. We were just trying to get so, out of here. Yeah. Sorry. I don't want to keep extending this. But like no, the, the car that you want to get, is that is that a replacement to the Subi? Or is that? No, in addition to. Oh, in addition to. So to, to, to act as a filming car? Or? No, it's to have. It's to distract me from the the interminable ennui of this, the year of our Lord, 2020. <laughs> I see. How are you with mold restoration? Can I just bring my project car to you and you can fix it? Because I'm not yeah, really doing it. Yeah, just take it all the way down to the frame and yep. soak the whole thing in bleach. <laughs> yeah, if you're up for it, I'll tow it down there. <laughs> I clearly joking, don't have the time. Are you serious? I... I was joking initially, but if you are open to this idea, I would be forever grateful well, to actually fix this take, damn thing. I gotta take everything out of it, <laughs> and then just I, I gotta just strip the interior to the frame. Yeah, is there mold on the dash? Not much, no. Oh, but okay. I, but so but the whole yes. thing. Yeah, the, not not much doesn't count with mold. Well, there, there, there may be some specs, but not, not, not that I'm sure. I'm sure of. There's definitely some like on the door panels, and it's, it's on every soft surface, yeah. and it's a, it's a, like it is absolutely gutted down to metal. What situation. is the car? An O1 TT, and and I do have a replacement like set of seats to put into it once everything's ripped out, but it's, it's a daunting task to actually strip something right down to metal, and it's, it's like. You know, once you're into it, you got to really put some time into it to like get it past the, that milestone of everything out. Otherwise, the mold's just going to keep growing when you've like left it half finished. Yep. So, yeah. Um, that sounds just, like a great place to start. That sounds that sounds fun. <laughs> I, I so I was looking into this. It's been five years I've been towing that fucking thing from house to house to house. I've I've moved three times since since that happened, and I've I've owned that car for. Uh, 12 years now so i got i'm coming up on a halfway mark of like just owning a car and not using it for half of its ownership everybody needs an albatross everybody needs an albatross you know uh yeah you gotta have i I figured i figured it would be my first fix it youtube series because you know i got (laughs) nothing else to shoot coming up (laughs) what have you done to mitigate the mold so far so early early on i wiped everything down with white vinegar and and got all the surface mold off of it which then just grew back a few weeks later and then i started using this actual mold treatment stuff that you get at home depot and that that actually did work for longer as in like it took several months for it to come back and so i've done that proper mold treatment stuff like three or four times over the years and it's just it, like I, I do it to get to the point where I'm safer to remove everything, right? So there's not all the particles and crap coming at me as I'm as I'm disassembling it. But each time I do the treatment, I'm like, oh, here's a new contract I got to work on, so it's gonna sit and regrow, uh, right? right? So, but like I'm also at a point where mechanically the thing's been sitting for five years, so I got I've got to flush all the oil out of it. I don't even know half the mechanical problems that I'm gonna be facing now, having this turbocharged four-cylinder engine just sitting right i'm not mechanically inclined enough to even know so i'm i'm teetering on that (laughs) precipice of like i should have sold this for parts four years ago why haven't i just sold it for parts as of this spring you know but 
I I don't know. I have a moral, I've said this to you, Brian. Like I have a moral obligation to fix this freaking thing. <laughs> so like I I screwed it up by letting it sit. I, this was my attainable dream car from high school. I you know I, it's it's got to get done. Oh, I, I would I say just, I would yeah. say guilt and self loathing are pretty strong motivators. So it sounds like you're you're well on your way there. Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> flogging myself daily for this thing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Well, so anyways, there's a free project car for you, Brian. If you, boom, <laughs> in Toronto, yeah, in, uh, in Toronto, we just got across the border. border. I don't think I'm allowed to cross right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ivan, do you know? Are you familiar with Bright Sun Films and Jake? He's a guy that lives in Toronto. He's a young guy. He's got a huge YouTube channel. He does like the Abandoned series and sort of like kind of. He has a series called Abandoned. He also has one called uh, Bankrupt basically on business you know huge corporations that die he just these sort of small documentaries but he's got i don't know a million followers or something on youtube and, and he's he's one of those guys that started you know when he was 15 and so by the time he was 22 like he's he's killing it i actually worked uh, on a doc with him down at six flags new orleans f- for that but i just didn't know he's a toronto guy and in, 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 into the film world in some way albeit more, more sort of youtube than sort of a production company but i just didn't know if you just happened to know of him or not no, I think I, I the name was familiar, but I think it's because of your Twitter feed that oh, okay. I was aware of them. <laughs> Got so, it. And then yeah. one other question. Toronto, what are your thoughts on Rush? Can we just talk about this real quick? Because I just know that uh, it's like asking, yeah. like it, when people ask me about hot chicken, I get really upset because I just don't give a shit about hot chicken. I mean, I like it, uh, but I just don't care about like, comparing it to all these other things. But that's the Nashville thing or music or whatever. So you're yeah. from Toronto. You're going to get the Rush question. Where are you with the with the whole thing? I, I'm I'm of a generation where that was on like our best of Canadian rock compilation albums, right? Like yeah. I, it, it wasn't it wasn't on my radar ever. Like they're they're cool. They're they you know <laughs> I like some of their music, but I I was never like into them into them. So. Sure. Okay. I'm, I'm well, you, you escaped impartial. that one. I just figured it was uh, one of those things where you're like, I'm from Toronto. If one more fucking person talks about the one thing they know is from toronto to me again uh <laughs> but well i just you remember know, yeah. i remember going up there as a kid to toronto and being so excited because i knew that that's where rush was i was like in fifth grade you know listening to tapes in my walkman in the back of our parents my parents dodge caravan putting yeah. the cool putting the cooler between me and my brother so he, he can just fuck off you know i'm in my own world actually i remember i had a boom box that i used as a seat divider back then because that was like oh yeah i didn't even have a walkman i just had a giant boom box but i remember like listening to like rush albums and like we're driving through canada and toronto i was like wow yeah. you know shit's metric here you know like wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know? well we're like i don't think we're gonna get very annoyed for hearing questions about us because it means that an american is even thinking about us to begin with so uh. <laughs> so our our Canadian inferiority complex uh, allows us to be very polite and <laughs> uh, and appreciate any question you might so, have about hey do you know so and so so your your, yeah, your Canadian sure uh, insecurities match up perfectly yeah. with our American bloated exceptionalism. America, <laughs> fuck yeah! It's like like it's like you know like you can't figure out why all the girls like the jock dickhead dudes in high school or whatever like that's what America is and then like the, the girls that fall for the jock dickhead dudes like that's Canada. It seems like this is kind of what you're saying. I don't know. I feel like Canada's made of more than that, and more than Alanis Morissette too. I think there's a lot of a lot of really cool shit there, and it's also kind of the most beautiful place. I mean, thousand uh, was it Prince Edward Island and all that. My God. I yeah, like, we got some gorgeous spots, but I mean, so does America. I love like I haven't seen too much of America by plane. I've seen it by the road, and like yeah. 
it's it's a gorgeous place to go for road trips I, yeah i mean I, I can't wait for that to happen again yeah something. you know i'm eager to get back out there in a, in a weird yeah. way it seems like one of the only viable things you can do right now if you can keep it self-contained mm-hmm. and just minimize the bullshit you know especially if you have a car you can sleep in or camp out or whatever yeah. uh seems like an ultimate time to do like the road trip because it forces you out of like the oh well when we get here we'll get this really nice airbnb by the lake or something it's like none of this shit like it's like we're out in this kind of mutant virus survival pandemic road warrior kind of mentality yeah i, I kind of I, I would like to be out in the car like on a road trip right now just kind of with a little bit of fear like that's not usually usually road trips are just about a state of wonder uh and contemplation i, I would like there to yeah. be a, a little cocktail of fear and mortal fear involved yeah <laughs> <laughs> I like that one thing Rich Hall had on The Wanderers or something. It was a it was a documentary about road films, road movies. Mm-hmm. And he said all road films are are a are a retreat from one thing and a sojourn to another. And if you do like the quarantine road trip, I'm sure we can Google on YouTube right now to see if someone did it. But you you couldn't just do a road trip and film it for the quarantine and just say, this is what you're doing. You'd, you'd have to have a viable goal. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there's a county somewhere that is supposed to be like green or like the quarantine is being lifted in this place. So this is where we're going like that. Some sort yeah, of- you have to apply like classic story structure to whatever thing you do. Right. Like, yeah, we're, we're talking Hero's about journey. Your- yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's a it's either you're doing a quest or you know you're you're trying to elicit like a change in your main character. Like what what's your what's your goal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So am I here in road trip, guys? <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you two. I'm I'm stuck north of the the border here. My I, I have only been like down here. I, people are wearing masks as chin straps and then just y- yelling and con- everything's just about whatever libtards or what I don't know just everything is completely bizarre down here as far as what people are actually doing so I've been erring on the side of absolute caution because also my, my wife is really smart and smarter than I am and she knows when I'm about to do something stupid or want to do something stupid so I've just been keeping it tight not doing anything but I do look forward to getting getting you know I, I don't believe in the new normal but I do believe in getting the fuck out of the house so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But I've appreciated the time. I've gotten a shit ton of stuff done, and it's given me a reason to sort of dig deeper into a lot of the things I've been doing. And you guys benefited a little bit from some of the archival work that I've been doing, trying to get all of my shit findable, so that when somebody wants something, I can actually just get it. You know, like it, and it, mm-hmm. and and it's already in Google Drive, and it's already there, and I can just be like, oh, Brian wants a thing. I've got a thing copy the link paste it in an email 30 seconds of effort done and the the benefit of like the 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 pre-work up front and then it paying off even in little moments like that it's so huge so i've been trying to just do as much shit like that as i possibly can because it's really satisfying when it when it kind of pays off it doesn't feel like busy work you know it feels like necessary shit that i've been sort of not negligent but it's just there's just an endless amount of things that you could apply up more care to and and think more deeply about so I don't know. I think it's been, in this strange way, kind of all right. But I feel for a lot of people, and it's a weird time. But you know, we're we're humans. We're we're so utterly simple, and and you know, we figured out the world can stop for about seventy days, and then that's as much as the consciousness can take. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know? So we learned something. That's good. But, but anyway, but hey, I just want to give you guys some, some, some gratitude and some thanks. And I really appreciate your work and your creativity. And it's been also just hugely, hugely inspiring to me. And for me to be able to contribute in any way, it's been monumental. And I just appreciate you guys very much. And I hope that we can do something like this again soon. Or maybe not soon, but you know when it's the right time, and and I hope that we can keep the train moving. So obviously, anytime you guys need anything, you know I'm I'm here for you in any way that I can possibly help. Oh, thank you. Yeah, man. So for now, that is that that'll conclude Art Fight Podcast number ninety with Ivan Verlan and Mister Regular. I think that that's uh, I think that's a wrap. Thanks a lot, dudes. Appreciate it. I'm going to stop the rec- I'll stop the recording and then we'll do a little uh, post wrap here. All right, but to everybody else, uh, thanks for watching, and uh, peace. Okay, guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast, and once you get there, you'll have three options you can just choose the lowest level you're going to pledge 99 cents a month to to our production and and help us out again anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast click on support this podcast all right thanks everyone